AI is being seen as a panacea for all things. All companies are being told that they must get AI. And yet, if they don't know how to use AI, they might just be buying themselves a set of problems. You are listening to Business Extra from The National in Abu Dhabi. I'm your host, Kelsey Warner. Before we begin, please do subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. To examine what's at stake in our AI-powered future and unpack all of the hype, we're talking to Kay Firth Butterfield, the head of AI and machine learning at the World Economic Forum. Kay is a barrister, a former judge and professor, technologist, and entrepreneur. Her work focuses on how humanity can equitably benefit from new technologies, especially AI. Here's our conversation. Kay Firth Butterfield, hi. It's great to be talking to you today. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Hi, Kay. So, yeah, your career so far has been guided by an interest in, and these are your words, how humanity can equitably benefit from new technologies, especially AI. Where does your interest in in this field come from? And it just feels, were you prescient? Where did this passion come from? I think that it originates because I am by background a human rights lawyer. And so this seems like a very natural leap from, from the, the work that I was doing before to the work that I'm doing now. So, you know, I've always wanted the best for humanity. And um, these tools give us the opportunity to truly benefit from from amazing technologies. Um, But what we found as we've been producing them more and more is that actually there are problems in machine learning, which is mainly what we're using. And uh, those are problems that we need to solve to make sure that we can uh, have the technology used fairly amongst everybody. But also there is this deep divide between the people who are able to use AI and the people who are not at the moment sufficiently technologically advanced to be able to use it. And when you think about that digital divide and the haves versus the have-nots, for you as somebody who is human rights oriented, what sort of potential do you think access unlocks? What, what are we missing out on by not having a technologically advanced society? We are missing out hugely if we don't have a technologically advanced society, because although I am often found talking about the problems, the benefits are immense. You know, just the thought that we might be able to educate everybody on the planet using AI. We know that education is one of the proof points of making, of helping societies grow and obviously individuals grow and um, have better lives. And so, you know, we we can think of education or we could think of healthcare. Uh, There's a lot of data that it would take scientists millions of years to trawl through. AI can, can do that very swiftly machine learning can do that very swiftly. And so what we've got is the potential to find cures. Uh, Climate change as well. 
we know that this is the leading problem that besets our world. And so, you know, if we could find answers uh, using machine learning, that would be amazing. Although I always do just tag on the end of that, that AI shouldn't be seen as this sort of magic wand that's going to cure all of our ills. We need to use AI, but we don't need to slow down on all the other things that we're doing, especially around climate. Right. And au contraire, I would say, I mean, AI during the pandemic was seen, I think, you know, to its detriment, to your point, as potentially a magic bullet. It certainly helped in surfacing potential treatments. But then on the other side of that, you know, we also had e-learning, remote learning has been somewhat deemed a universal failure that we do need to get children back into the classroom. Elon Musk a couple of weeks ago acknowledged, you know, autonomous driving is in fact incredibly difficult. It feels like we talk about AI as though it, it is present in, in here, but on the other hand, it still feels really, uh, you know, in a, in a nascent form. But where would you place us on the AI timeline when you think about where we're at uh, and, and how might we best take advantage of, of where we're at right now? Absolutely. See, we're not actually as far forward as we would like to be. As Elon says, you know, there, this stuff is hard. <laughs> and, and also there are insufficient people on the planet who really know how to deliver on, on um, very complex problems with AI. So one of the problems is we're just not training enough people. Uh, and the people that we are training, we're not training, we aren't training a diverse population. So we tend to be training a, a masculine-dominated population. And we know that that causes errors in itself. So we have to train more people. We have to train a more diverse group of people. We have to um, think about why we would need AI and concentrate it in those places. One of the things that I'm seeing is that, you know, AI is being seen as a panacea for all things. All companies are being told that they must get AI. And yet, if they don't know how to use AI, they might just be buying themselves a set of problems. Mm, so, okay, I want to dig into that a bit more. And just the idea of the current state of where we're at on AI governance. We've been predictably uneven in our adoption, as you pointed out earlier, in policymaking and in developing the tools we need to actually leverage AI so from your vantage point from the forum, how would you like leaders in the private sector today to be thinking about artificial intelligence? If they don't yet have a strategy, if they're thinking about maybe buying, buying some tools off the shelf, or they're just starting to develop their own product, what values and tools do you think might help? Yes. So I think that there are a number of ways of looking at the adoption of AI. And obviously the first is, have you got your data in order. You need your data to be in a certain form before you can start using artificial intelligence anyway. So a lot of companies are just struggling with that problem. If we then move to adoption of AI, um, have you thought about the 
you know, some people would call them ethical challenges, others call them responsible AI challenges. But, you know, we could just call them problems that they're going to have for your business. And so have you looked at those? Have you thought about it with your board? Have you thought about it with your whole C-suite? I recommend that this is not something that you should just be thinking about uh, with your CTO or your CIO. You need to have everybody on board and everybody understanding what you're going to do because you are going to need to have organizational change. And um, rather than me talking you through it, uh, if you if you go to the web uh, the forum's website, you'll actually find under the responsible use of technology project a whole suite of tools that will help you think through this early stage of how you need to think differently about product, how you need to create an organizational change, and how you need to ensure that you take your whole workforce with you through education and training. And so it's a it's a big thing. It's not just, oh, we're going to adopt a new tool. You need actually to have a major rethink about how your um, organization is going to operate. The next thing that is important is you need to think about your customers. Some of your customers won't mind you using artificial intelligence to find out more about them. Some of your customers really will. And also, when you have used AI to know your customers really well, what do you do with that information? Have you thought that through? Um, the next thing is thinking about your employees. Um, some of your employees are going to be worried about being replaced by AI. And some of your younger employees are certainly going to want to see that you have thought carefully about the ethical issues around AI. Then you need to think about investors. Increasingly, we're seeing that investors are saying, okay, what is a company's ethical AI policy? And if you haven't got one of those, then you need really to be thinking about it. And then you need to be thinking about procurement of the AI tools. So we actually did some work with uh, the UK government and the UAE um, around procurement for, of AI for government. And although it's not immediately translatable, you know, directly translatable to the uh, private sector, there are some really good ideas in there. So you should probably look at that because you need to think carefully about what are the questions that you are going to be asking those suppliers. Sadly, we are seeing that, you know, almost everybody um, to, who wants to get a lot of funding is putting the word AI somewhere in their materials. You may be questioning that. Okay, but this, is, uh, this isn't a trick question, but it is something I've been thinking about. To your point of AI, it does appear in practically everything these days. Is there a quick test one can do to figure out if AI is actually being used or if it's just marketing speak? How do you, how do you find out? You ask in-depth questions. You feel that you have the capacity to ask those in-depth questions, then I'm afraid you need to spend some money finding the people who can help you ask those questions. 
<laughs> right. Okay. So this summer in particular feels like we're at a critical point in terms of policymaking in AI. The EU plans to enact sweeping new regulation. It's over the next several years. It's not going to happen overnight, but it may include a ban on AI systems that seek to, in quotes, manipulate human behavior. Then we've had other recent headlines about the first reported battlefield killing by an unmanned drone and more and more cities saying no to facial recognition being used by public municipalities. First, I want to dig into the EU's proposed legal document because it is perhaps the most sweeping, set to be debated over the coming years, but it will serve as a template to govern AI. What would you like to see the EU debate here? And what do you want to see included ultimately in the framework? Yes. So I think that the EU is... uh, is doing what they did with GDPR, frankly. They they want to, they they have the particular set of values they believe that companies trading with them should follow. And so this is the sort of opening salvo on that. What we what's going to be interesting is to see whether anybody follows the EU. Because all the, with the GDPR, you know, lots of people did. They said, okay, well, we'll we'll adopt GDPR or we'll adopt parts of it that fit for us. Sorry to interrupt, but just you're referencing a data protection law sweeping. It was enacted across borders. It's It follows us now kind of around the internet. Um, and so you're saying that it's the, the AI template is a bit of a follow-on from data protection laws we saw in previous years. It's undoubtedly a follow-on, yes, but it's also Europe's way of softly guiding the world in a particular way. Um, as I say, we found we saw that lots of countries did adopt their version of the GDPR or at least do something around data policy. So this I see as a signal that um, the, the world will start moving to some form of regulation of AI. Um, it may not be as sweeping as the EU, but we will s- gradually see ca- countries around the world um, moving in that direction. So I think that that is actually the most important piece of what Europe is doing um, what they are doing in terms of the actual structure, I think, should be seen by um, companies that truly care as a mere starting point. Um, it shouldn't be the, the, the end of your journey on ethical AI. You mentioned facial recognition. Uh, yes, we are seeing in many countries more people worried or more, more people and therefore more governments worried about the use of facial recognition. Um, and we have actually been doing some work with uh, global police forces to think about how you can use facial recognition in policing fairly because you know that's been one of the great worries around the use of the use of facial recognition. Mm. Um, I think that uh, you know we are beginning to see some talk about uh, about legislation here in the United States as well. Um, and we were we've been working, for example, with India 
on their um, on their national AI policy. And I think that the EU's position will be influential in other countries that are thinking thinking deeply about AI. And I don't want to suggest either that the data protection laws that were put in place a few years ago are by any means uh, panaceas either. I think that regulation on data, which is the fuel for AI, is certainly still being sorted out. We're still trying to understand big tech's responsibility in all of this and how to regulate them. It does feel like we're very early days in general on, on regulating technology. And I think also, you know, the problem, I, I'm a lawyer by background, as you know, and, and you know, you always think, well, it takes a lot, it's going to take a long time for e, the EU to move to legislation and then to have that contested in, um, in the courts. And so we're looking at a long period before we actually get clarity and so that's one of the reasons that I urge companies to do their own thing, get that clarity yourself, um, work out what your values are when you use AI, and be very cognizant of the fact that your customers are actually frightened of AI. And, uh, you know, there are increasing data points saying that in, in Europe, 87% pe of people are frightened of a, the use of AI. And in the United States, it's 78. Um, and so you just have to think, if your customers are worried about what you're doing, being open, being um telling them what you're doing with their data, how you're using it, and what you know about them, I think is going to become more important because otherwise we'll lose the benefits of AI if we don't take the public trust with us. Right. Without public trust, you really do have just terrifying headlines, it feels. It would have a bit of a PR issue in terms of like growing use cases of autonomous systems on battlefields, say, or just facial recognition and its role in public life or the criminal justice system. But these, these use cases create uh, red lines on, on AI potentially, which could over time impede innovation. So how do you think about AI and red line? Do you think about red lines? Should there be red lines on AI? Yeah, I think there should be red lines on AI. Um, and, you know, we don't do any work on, on the use of AI in, in war, but there, there has, I think, been four years worth of treaty talks about that at the UN. And I suspect that this, this battlefield drone is going to be something that um, brings those talks perhaps to more of a head. So this is also a natural transition to the idea of AI ethics, AI for good. You started, you self-professed, self-proclaimed that you started the hashtag AI, hashtag AI ethics online, um, which, is, which is very cool. This idea that you would like to be having this ongoing conversation and engaging with different voices around this idea of ethics and AI. But how, how do you think about different voices on this conversation? When we think about policymakers, the customer, investors, NGOs, 
how does bringing multiple voices into the conversation inform us? How does it move us forward? Yeah, so multiple voices are truly important in this space. As I mentioned before, you know, we need to take the general public with us. And if you don't engage in conversation with the general public, they are simply going to fear um, the machines. And so one thing that I often say is, actually, anybody listening to this podcast is a member of the public. Um, so you might be listening to it because it's pertinent to your business, but actually in every other way, you are a member of the public. So let's look at how you would feel perhaps about the education of your child by AI. If you don't know where that data is going, who's collecting the data, whether it's being monetized, um, whether the you don't know whether the AI what the AI is actually teaching your child because you're not present the whole time, and you don't know whether the, actually the education through the use of AI is as good as education um, in in the classroom. So you know those are your children or your grandchildren. You want to know all that. Likewise, uh, many of us are going to be cared for by AI and AI and robots. What would you want to know before you bought a robot that was going to come into your house and care for you? What should you want to know before you buy some of the devices that use AI in your home? So if you can begin to think as if you are a member of the general public because you are and you are buying artificial intelligence, what would you want to know will help you to create a really good strategy for your company? Okay, last question. As I'm now mulling the possibility of a robot someday caring for me, and if I even agree with, if, if can a robot care? Do you think a robot can care? A robot can do the physical caring. The question is, and it's true for the children as well, you know, if this AI-enabled device becomes your child's best friend, best friend in air quotes, um, you know, that's how does your child then work with human beings that make it cry and things like that? Because actually this, this toy doesn't care. Only mm. human beings care. With that said, my last question for you is, are you optimistic about the future? I am very optimistic about the future, but I do think that we are literally on the cusp at the moment. And the my optimism is really that in 2014, when I, when I first started working in this area, um, there were very few of us. I think now we're all having this conversation about governance and about um, ethics and getting these problems fixed. And we've become mainstream, which is perfect because it means that we can sort it all out and therefore move forward to a really beneficial use of AI going forward. Okay, really fun to talk to you. Thank you so much. Always fun to talk to you too, Kelsey. Thank you. 
That's all for today. If you like this episode, please do subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. All that's left is to thank our producers, Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan. And thank you for listening.